We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, a.k.a. GMAC, and I'm here to preview the upcoming matchup between the New York Knicks and the Indiana Pacers. Both teams hovering around the same spot in the Eastern Conference. The Pacers come in at 23-18. and 18. Uh, one game better than the New York Knicks, who are 22-19. and 19. The 6-7 seven matchup in the Eastern Conference should be a pretty good matchup. And joining me in just a little bit will be Caitlin Cooper of Indy Cornrows, friend of the pod, returning guest, one of the better basketball minds you will ever hear from or read. In particular, her draft coverage last summer was only second to the one and only Chris Persianen, if I do say so myself. And I think you're really going to enjoy her preview. She gets in-depth about what the Pacers have been doing lately. And speaking of the Pacers, 10 games ago, the Pacers lost a heartbreaker for them to the New York Knicks. The, the Knicks were in the midst of a winning streak, so a lot of things were going right for them. But the end-of-game offense for the Pacers, the end-of-game execution, I should say, uh, led them to do some soul-searching. And uh, Jalen Brunson came up big in that, that, that final sequence. Julius Randle came up big with six clutch free throws down the stretch. And the Knicks won 109-106. to 106. So the Pacers come in here looking for revenge. And also, since that game, they are 8-2 and two and have been one of the better teams in the NBA since that stretch. So I say all of this because this could be a, a good matchup. This should be a good matchup. Tyrese Halliburton also, for reasons that are very obvious, shout out to Wally Zerbiak. Um, Look, I'll just be flat out honest with all of you. It has nothing to do with our new partnership with MSG that I don't want to acknowledge what was said. I just flat out don't want to give that shit a platform. Um, He said some things. He did retract them to his credit, although that didn't get as much attention, obviously, as the actual statement that Tyrese Halliburton is a wannabe all-star. When you just go to the advanced metrics, Halliburton is having one of the better seasons uh, in the league right now. He's like top five in some categories with some heavy hitting names that you wouldn't expect somebody to be with. Uh, So Halliburton is probably going to come in with a little extra motivation. TJ McConnell acknowledged as much. And 
Wouldn't be the first time that somebody came into MSG wanting to use the stage of Broadway in New York City and the world's most famous arena to uh, have a have a coming out party or, or showcase their talents. We've obviously seen that a lot lately. Having said all of that, I think you're going to enjoy the conversation with uh, with Caitlin Cooper in just a second. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you to the feedback we've gotten to the to the first one that we did with Ty Windish, and obviously uh, going forward, I hope uh, that that continues. Let's get into it. My conversation previewing the Knicks and the Pacers matchup with the one and only Caitlin Cooper of Indy Cornrows. Joining me now for this edition of the KFS pregame show podcast, a friend of the pod, a returning guest, you know her work and hopefully you enjoy her work as much as we do here at Nick's Film School. You could find her over at Indie Cornrows, the Pacers blog for SB Nation. You can also hear her on the podcast Indie Cornrows, which she co-hosts with other friend of the pod, Mark Schindler. She is Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin, welcome back to the Nick's Film School podcast. Hey, always a pleasure to be back. It feels like every time I'm on here, it's to talk about a pacer who never becomes a Nick. Like <laughs> Jonathan and I rehashed this the last time I was on because when he was still doing a newsletter at the Strickland, we did like an email exchange about Victor Oladipo and that potential. And then he had me on to talk about Miles Turner. And then last summer I came on again to talk about Malcolm Brogdon. Malcolm Brogdon and none of these yep. none of these things ever come to fruition, but I'm always happy for the return invitations. So I will I will hopefully put your mind at ease that I have very little Knicks Pacers rumors to talk about. We'll obviously have to discuss Obi Toppin and the rumor that came up a few weeks ago. But I actually just want to talk to you about the Knicks and the Pacers and the matchup that's happening when people are hearing this tonight at Madison Square Garden between what I don't want to say surprisingly because uh, Nick, the Knicks, there are some Knicks fans that thought this was a 45 win team, but I know that not a lot of people had high hopes for the Pacers uh, nationally, but between the, the sixth and seventh best teams in the Eastern Conference, according to record. Um, and I want to start there. The vibes in Indiana with this team. Is it a surprise that this team is as good as it is so far this season? Is it um, I, I don't want to say a disappointment because I'm hoping people are enjoying watching good basketball as opposed to a full tank. But how are the vibes right now in Indiana with this basketball? Team? I mean, I think it's pretty night and day by comparison to last season. Mm-hmm. Like we I mean, we did a year end pod talking about the year 2022 and how much different the teams were entering into one year and going leaving the prior compared to last season. So last season, there was a lot of fan apathy. Um, most of the interest was around whether who was going to be traded and when those trades were going to happen. I mean, not to be rude, but they were kind of borderline a hate watch. And I like watching a lot of those players individually, but the mix just wasn't right. And they had, you know, become somewhat stale. It was time to make changes. And that was very evident. Um, Headed into this season, I think if you even asked like the front office members, decision makers with the team, the way this was billed going into media day was very much setting expectations for, hey, this isn't going to be about wins and losses. This is about measuring the internal growth of these young guys that we have and how much, you know, we can see that they've, developed as month over month. And they even talked about how they knew last year at the trade deadline, there wasn't going to be a quick fix that they needed to do something dramatic and that they were okay with that, that they were okay looking at three and four year increments rather than the one and two year increments that they had been looking at. So that indicates to me that they weren't expecting that they were going to be quite the team that they've been so far this year. And to answer your question about the fan base, I mean, I think that my general pulse on it, I think there are some who want to, who would have maybe preferred that they not shortchange things around Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin, maybe get another good draft pick headed into this. And that, that was kind of my opinion headed into the season, if I'm being honest. 
Um, but now that we've seen how they've been, especially over these last 10 games, I think have been more meaningful. And I think that fans have really kind of rallied around this group. The, the chemistry between the players has been really good. The way they support each other on the court has been really good. And, you know, they've even had a couple sellouts in between Christmas and New Year's Eve, which is a big difference. Cause I think right now they still rank like 29th in the NBA and, and, and percentage of attendance, mm. but they've started getting fans back in the building again. So, um, big turnaround from last year to now. Well, Speaking of last year to now, obviously the we'll we'll get to the Halliburton um, rise if you want to call it that. But that some of that even started last season. Uh, like you said, the expectations I'm sure were were tempered a bit after the Fox uh, the Sabonis trade, I should say. Um, and as a result, the team. It, it's funny getting from an outsider's perspective the the temperature of how Pacers fans feel about this team and how sustainable it is. Because just looking at like basketball stats, the NBA stats page, you see 14th in offense, you see, I think, 17th in net rating, and you wonder how 23 and 18 exists. Um, what would you say to the to the uninformed, I should say, that don't watch the Pacers every day is the secret to how they got to 23 and 18 this season? Well, I would say I was among them for a while. I mean, early in the season, they had a fairly soft schedule and they kept catching teams with injury luck. I mean, I remember talking about the one four-game win streak they had before they went out on the seven-game West Coast West Coast road trip and some of the things they were doing defensively, I was just wondering like how sustainable is this? So like, for instance, they beat the Orlando magic twice, but Paolo Bancaro and Wendell Carter jr. Were not playing. So they did some like switch to blitz against Franz Wagner and that was effective, but in your head, you'd be like, okay, but what if those other guys are out there? And they beat the Miami heat on the second night of a back to back and Jimmy Butler didn't play. They beat the Houston Rockets in Houston and Eric Gordon torched them for 20 points in the first half. They came out and went switch to blitz against him. But Kevin Porter Jr. wasn't out there and, and the Rockets shot the ball really poorly. Same thing against they went down to Charlotte. Like these are not good basketball teams mm. that they were getting wins against. But again, they went down to Charlotte. They're half tra- court trafficking LaMelo and the Charlotte Hornets shot one for seven in the in the fourth quarter. So then they go on the seven game West Coast road trip and it's pretty rocky. They were trailing by 15 or more points in most of those games. A mm. lot of guys weren't shooting the three well. This is a team that's very dependent on shooting the three well. And you started seeing little changes where like, okay, well now opponents, whether it's Nurkic, whether it's so bonus, whether it's, you know, Jokic before they went on the road trip are starting to cross match and defend Jalen Smith with fives. And that was marginalizing miles a little bit. It was disrupting their offense. And over that seven game stretch, I believe they had the worst half court offense in the NBA. So I remember there was, there was somebody on Twitter who made a comment to me along the lines of like, Rick Carlisle isn't up for this job. Like they, they're going to have to make a change. And I just felt like, Oh my word. Like they're vastly overachieving, exceeding oh expectations. God. Like how did we get here? And I made this thread. And by the end of it, I was like, you know, they've, they've overachieved. Let's not move the goalposts because I was just expecting some regression after some, like I said, some of the defensive tactics that they were using. I'm just like, I don't know if that's going to work if everybody's out on the court for them. But now, you know, that Nick game was kind of a turning point for the Pacers. To be honest, they had some mm-hmm. late game struggles. As we know, isolating against Julius Randle, some of that stuff that happened and the the light really turned for Tyrese and the rest of the team. Not that Tyrese wasn't playing well beforehand. He obviously was, but they play the next game against the Boston Celtics. They get up huge in that first half and then it narrows at the end of the game and Tyrese is making a lot better decisions. The next game was really the big one against the Miami Heat. In the prior matchup, Tyrese had scored one point. The switching scheme really bothered him. And that goes back to last season, the teams that switch, you know, he can kind of spin his tires and have problems driving against length. 
they go into that game and he's just really hunting the switch pocket. So, you know, there's always this little, little gap that when one defender hands you off to the next, if you have really deep range, if you're like, you know, Trey Young and you can rise up into that space, that's what Tyrese did. So he attempted 16 threes in that game. He goes for 43 points by the end of it. After he's hit the switch pocket so many times, Bam's playing him closer. Now he can drive the switches and he makes the game winner. So that, that's that been a big turning point for him. His clutch processing at the end of the games has really changed. And since they played the Knicks, they're eight and two. They made a starting lineup change. Aaron Neesmith's at the four now, not Jalen Smith anymore. That's put Miles back at the natural five. He's being defended by fives. Um, they've won in a lot of different ways. Like if you just look at their last several games, they play the Clippers. It's crunch time. They're hunting Luke Kennard while also running offense. They end up getting Zubots to have to come back out on the floor. They force the Clippers to play big because Miles is going at switches. Good processing there. They play the Toronto Raptors and they win the game with their bench. They outscore Toronto's bench 57 to four. They play the Portland Trailblazers. And over the last six minutes of that game, they hold the Trailblazers to two points over six minutes. Mm. So they do it with defense. And now this most recent win over Charlotte, they scored 43 points in the fourth quarter. And and Charlotte tried a lot of different defensive coverages and they couldn't get stopped. So it's just starting to feel more meaningful to me that they're able to win games in different ways. And they are doing this against um, healthier opponents as well. So a couple things. First of all, it makes total sense that something happened around a Knicks game that launched another team into a successful stretch. Uh, another thing, the I cannot tell you how relatable it is, the outcry for the firing of a coach that <laughs> may or may not be doing a bad job, but expectations are what they are. And of course, and I'm not someone that is like a Thibodeau apologist. I just like look at the talent level on this team. And while there are things I wish were different about the end of game offense or certain adjustments that he could make or some rotational decisions, I think we all would have signed up for 22 and 19 at the beginning of the season. Um, and then as far as the, the injury luck, um, the Knicks have a similar uh, track record this season. They are 16 and seven against teams under 500 and six and 12 against the teams on over 500. And the six wins are the Pacers Oh, not the Pacers. Well, obviously that is one of them, but the uh, Sixers without Embiid, Jokic with uh, the Nuggets without Jokic, the six, the Suns when they were over 500 um, without Booker, um, there's another and like the one good one was this weird Sunday night game against the Cavaliers where they were missing Jared Allen, but like this, this the uh, Cavs uncharacteristically shot like 12% from three and there were 13 travels called in the game. So I understand the idea of sustainability being a question. Um, and before I ask you about the, uh, I'll say it on behalf of Knicks fans that are informed the potential all-star um Tyrese Halliburton, because I know something else happened after that next game that might have sparked his his effort going going forward. Um, do you see this being do you see the front office seeing this as sustainable? Do you think that they'll continue toward a playoff push or like where do you see this headed toward the trade deadline? I think it's getting harder and harder to pull the plug. I mean, I think that the key linchpin here is what is Miles Turner's plans with the extension. I am very risk averse. So Mm -hmm. if he's not going to sign an extension before the trade deadline, I would be looking to move him because I wouldn't want to risk him walking for nothing. They could gamble and hope that he resigns. And like from what I have no idea what his thinking is. I don't know if he wants to stay in Indiana. It seems like he's really enjoying the fact that he's playing at the five again and playing with Tyrese Halliburton. And he's been very complimentary of the fan base and, and other things that have regard to the Pacers. But 
you don't know. Like there's no guarantees. So after after the trade deadline's over, what if what if they're not playing at this level anymore? What if they get into a play in tournament game and things go like what happened? I don't know if you'll remember this game, but what happened for the Charlotte Hornets against the Indiana Pacers two years ago when they got absolutely smashed in the play in tournament game and a lot of their vibes that were very good that season went into a sour note into the summer. And then you know, now Miles can listen to other teams. He himself, when he was on the Woj pod, mentioned and said, Hey, look, the Pacers could risk losing me for nothing. I mean, he noted that. So time has passed since then. The Pacers are obviously playing at a very high level, but he's very important. If he's not going to be on this roster after the trade deadline, that changes a lot for the Pacers. I mean, you can see that over the last several games, not just the big block that got promoted all over on social media against Plumlee Mm -hmm. the other night and what he's doing defensively, but um, the way that he's impacted matchups at the end of the game, like I said, against the Clippers, the Clippers went small. He's actually doing some things against switches this year that forced Ty Lue's hand and made them put Zubats back into the game. And now Tyrese is able to go as Zubats is dropped coverage. There's no one else on the roster doing that. There's Jalen and Isaiah Jackson cannot defend to the level that Miles Turner has. And something that's probably gone underrated with him is how much his role has even changed defensively because they're playing these four guard lineups. They're basically playing eight guards every night. They're not playing two bigs at once anymore. Um, his ability to stay around the rim, they're sometimes assigning him to low usage wings, putting Buddy Heald on opposing fives. He might guard Jared Allen. He might guard Kristaps Porzingis so that they can switch everything and, and Miles really has to stay around the basket and stay low. Or like we'll probably see you know, on Wednesday night if he's defending a big like Mitchell Robinson who isn't going to do something out of the paint, they practically play him in a one-man zone and keep him way far back, which again then you have to funnel everything to him. So he's a linchpin to a lot of what they're doing. So in terms of whether they play off push or pull the plug, I think they're kind of past the point of no return on that to a bit with how many wins they've, you know, accumulated to this point. And, you know, I don't know what will happen if they, if they have to move miles, they're not going to be competitive in the playoffs or in a play in tournament to me, if he's not here, unless they really just like hit a home run with whatever trade they make. But that kind of puts them in a tough spot. Cause you know, this season, you know, Originally, they went into it probably thinking they were going to get a good draft pick. That's that's kind of that ship starting to sail now. And now if you get to the end of the season, there's value to be had in playoff experience, but you're not going to be as competitive if you have to move that guy. Well, let's actually stay there now that, now that we're, we're at this point of talking about how the, the trade deadline or specifically how the, the expectations coming into this season might have led to a draft pick. Um, can I get the Lakers question out of the way now? Because I'm sure you're tired of being asked it the the Russell Westbrook for Buddy Heald and Miles Turner rumors that just uh kind of uh took over the offseason that that was almost like a foregone conclusion do you are, are you sick of hearing about that do you foresee it coming up again or is that even in play anymore I mean, that's probably somewhat to the Lakers. I felt as soon as it became as public as it was, that it all became a lot less likely. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as everybody knew that the Lakers, you know, do not want to give up both picks and the Indiana Pacers are very much holding to the fact that they want both picks, whichever side Blinks was going to get blamed and, and pegged as the loser of that trade. So that that led me to believe that it was going to be a lot less likely to occur. It doesn't sound like the Lakers are willing to budge and I don't see that the Pacers are going to be willing to do that unless that they're going to get those two valuable picks. So. Is, is that a trade you would have potentially done if you were the GM? For both? Yeah, for both picks. I mean, if, if they would have done it before the season started, I think that that was probably the tipping point or very early on if they had done it. Um, I think it's a little bit different situation now. Um, I, I know a lot of people that want to counter it 
bring up the point that those are the Los Angeles Lakers. So um, those picks, like we think LeBron's going to age out, but will those picks still be valuable if they can just sign other big time players to come to LA? Like it's, right. it's a different market advantage. So um, that's a tough one for me to call. And then one thing that goes on with Miles is he's kind of been in trade rumors for his entire career, it seems. <laughs> Every year we're back here, but I've never heard what any of the trade packages for him are with the exception of when the Pacers tried to get Gordon Hayward from the Boston Celtics. I've never heard what another team has offered. So I really don't know how to peg his value a year ago before the foot injury happened. I kind of thought, you know, if they could get like the Aaron Gordon package that the magic got from the Denver nuggets where you're getting, you know, expiring contract, a young player that you're kind of intrigued by in a first, I kind of thought that that's where that would be. But miles is, you know, he's played better, but now he's on an expiring contract. Um, whatever team gets him, if he's not going to be willing to sign an extension, it could be a half year rental. So I really have a lot of trouble pegging exactly what his value should be at this point in time which completely fair when you when you figure all the things that you mentioned um let's talk about Tyrese Halliburton because his career began at least as far as Knicks fans are concerned with um a lot of let me just give you a little backstory there are a lot of Knicks fans that wanted the Knicks to draft Tyrese Halliburton with the eighth pick there are some reports that he avoided talking to the Knicks because he didn't want to go to New York and it became anything Obi Toppin did became uh, uh, could have had with, with Tyrese Halliburton and it almost was a comparison of the two players. Obviously now that he's a team removed from the team that drafted him, it's different, but you still can't help but wonder what if. Now we love Jalen Brunson, we're happy with Jalen Brunson, but you obviously have to look at what the draft pick could have been with, with if you had just drafted Halliburton in the first place, what do you see that's different from him this year? Cause I personally think he's a, a sure fire all-star. When you look at the advanced metrics, they also scream surefire all-star. What about him this year? Do you, would you put um, as the main reason why he's elevated his play to that level? Yeah, I mean, I would like to look up. I don't know the numbers on this, but if anybody's ever averaged 20 and 10 and not made an all-star game over these last 10 games, he's 50, 40, 90. So I think that the main difference for him, there's a lot of little nuances that I could point to and of ways that he's improved his game. But when he came over from the Pacers over those last 26 games, he only led the team in shot attempts, I believe, three times. His usage rate was below 20, which I there's a, like only three or four players who've ever made an all-star team in the backcourt going back to 2012. Um, with a usage rate that low. It was like Chris mm-hmm. Paul last year aging out, Steve Nash in like a, a legacy bid with the Phoenix Suns. And and uh, I'm thinking Kyle Korver counted as backcourt, but he was like an injury replacement. So I don't even remember who the other person was. But point being is for him, it was going to need to be, how does he maintain this way that he plays and is so inclusive and gets his teammates involved and maximizes shots for other people while also finding his own offense. And he's managed to do that this year. He's upped his usage rate. I think he's right at around 28 or 29, according to cleaning the glass. And like I said, you know, he's down in Miami and he takes 16 threes in a game. That's not something he would have done last year. Um, There was different coverages last year that you could point to with him and be like, okay, if if you're a team like Cleveland with Evan Mobley, if you're a team like Miami with Bam Adebayo, or if you weak to switch him, that's going to give him problems. And it would, there was times where when Malcolm Brogdon was still in the lineup with him, that the offense would tilt to Malcolm instead of Tyrese because of that to an effect. Um, now there's like three or four hacks that he's found. So like I said, finding the switch pockets, one of them, he's extended his range. He's willing to go to his lefty sidestep um, shot as well as going to the right. So it's harder to force him left now. And then also just like, 
they they really use Buddy Heald well with him. The two of them, they're the number one assist combo in the NBA. So if he gets a switch, they like to ghost that switch with Buddy. That helps him get hesitation into the paint. And then he's just found a really good balance in those end of game situations where they still continue to run offense while he's, you know, finding that matchup. So like they didn't win the game in Philadelphia. They kind of snatched uh, victory out of the jaws of defeat in that one. But on the final <laughs> possession and regulation before they had a couple costly turnovers there, you know, Tyrese hunts James Harden. He's going to get him and use him as a turnstile on the perimeter to get into the paint. But they're also using Miles Turner as a flare screener. That way, when Trez, you know, Trez has to make a choice. Is he going to stay attached to Miles at the elbow the way that Miles is adjusted? Or when Trez collapses on Tyrese going to the rim, then Miles is able to, you know, follow right behind him and collapse. And then they got a dunk out of that. You're also able to see in some playmaking situations, like people know that I wrote the very long piece over the summer, tracking all of his jump passes and and what the rate was and the fact that his assist rate was like three times higher when he was jumping versus when he wasn't. And the fact that he gets defenses to commit and what his eye manipulation is over these last several games, just watching him make pocket passes and the extra oomph that he does giving to rollers and the fact that Miles Turner's rolling on more than 50% of his screens is a large product of Tyrese Halliburton, whether it's I'm using a shot fake and really I'm going to throw the shovel pass or I'm faking a shot or I'm faking a pass and now I'm going to use my floater or, you know, he really plays that cat and mouse game really well. He makes other people better around him. So I don't think there's much question that she, he should be an all-star, but I will say this for Nick fan benefit. I think that Jalen Brunson has been an all-star for the New York Knicks as well. I Ooh. think Tyrese Halliburton has been an all-star for the Indiana Pacers. I've enjoyed both of them. And if I was being completely honest, if we look at the prior matchup, I think that Jalen Brunson outplayed Tyrese in that particular game for several reasons, but you know, it's funny. Unfortunately, I think Julius Randle has over has passed Jalen Brunson in the in the pecking order um, as far as the all star consideration on um, the last this this December into January stretch. Not the, the the Bucks game on Monday night, notwithstanding when Julius went nine of twenty nine and one of twelve from three. Um, he's been an, an amazing. Jalen had like a minor downtick, but look, this is there are delusional Knicks fans that think they might get both in. Um, I think the realistic scenario is there they get one and there's an even more realistic scenario they get both uh they get zero um but you know we'll see this is it would be nice if one of both honestly i think halliburton is is in a different tier uh compared to to julius and and jalen obviously for over 30 years the law offices of weiss and rosenblum in new york city has been home to a team of award-winning hard-hitting injury attorneys who have a long track record of seven-figure results whether you've been injured in a car accident fall construction accident or other traumatic event weiss and rosenblum will work tirelessly to maximize the award regardless of the severity of your injury and get you and your family the fair and just compensation you deserve call weiss and rosenblum today at 212-366-6100 Again, that's 212-366-6100 or visit weissandrosenbloom.com for more information. No case is too big or too small. Personal attention to your matter is a priority. Once more, call 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. If you think you might have a case, speak with a veteran attorney, not a rookie. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, Knicks fans? The excitement is back at Madison Square Garden. With plenty of basketball left, start the new year strong by catching the action live. Go, New York, go, New York, go! Everyone knows there's no experience like watching a game at the world's most famous arena. And Knicks fans always bring the passion and energy of New York City, making it a true home court advantage. Don't hesitate. Get tickets at Knicks.com slash BlueWire. Again, that's Knicks.com slash BlueWire. One more time, Knicks.com slash BlueWire. Experience the next big moment at the Mecca of Basketball, Madison Square Garden. What's up, Knicks fans? Quick break to tell you about HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. You've got New Year's goals, and HelloFresh is here to help you achieve them. Take control of your time and budget with delicious recipes delivered right to your door. Looking for an easy way to eat well and save money this year? Cut back on expensive takeout and delivery and get started with HelloFresh. You'll love how easy, fun, and affordable it is to whip up a restaurant-quality meal right in your own kitchen. With fast and fresh recipes, HelloFresh's latest line of meals featuring robust flavors and filling portions are ready in less than 50 minutes. Enjoy taste and quality done quick with recipes like falafel power bowls, seared steak and potatoes with béarnaise sauce, or southwest pork and bean burritos. If you know anything about me, you know that I'm not the greatest when it comes to cooking. Thankfully, I found a life partner that loves her time in the kitchen and loves putting together these elaborate meals. Unfortunately, with her schedule working at a school all day and my schedule covering sports all night, we rarely have time to go to the grocery store together. Well, HelloFresh has made it possible for us to do all the grocery shopping for the week right from the comfort of our living room. In fact, just last night when I was editing the latest KFS pod, she was putting together two plates of Presto Pesto Panko Chicken with roasted potatoes and green beans. We were able to do dinner and a movie without even leaving the comfort of our own home. And this is just one of several delicious HelloFresh meal options with cook and prep time taking less than an hour. When you've got busy, conflicting schedules like ours, you don't have to go out for dinner and a movie. Instead, it comes right to you. Don't hesitate. Head to HelloFresh.com slash FilmSchool21 and use code FilmSchool21 for 21 free meals plus free shipping. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash FilmSchool21 and use code FilmSchool21 for 21 free meals plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Another player that uh, might come up in conversation uh, going forward is Obi Toppin, Julius's backup. And there was a rumor a couple of weeks ago, uh, I'll say report, um, that the Pacers and Knicks have engaged in at least conversations about Obi Toppin. Um, is this a player that 
could potentially interest you personally as as an addition to the to the Pacers on a on a not necessarily a buy low type of deal, but this would obviously be a, a bench player that would come and potentially have more playing time in a different role than just Julius Randle's backup. What do you what do you think about Obi Toppin? I think Obi Toppin's interesting. I mean, for the Pacers, like I said, they're playing eight guards a night. They don't mm-hmm. have a lot of depth at the forward position, so there would be opportunity for Toppin, I think. Um, in the sense that I know that New York's identity has kind of been all over the place throughout the season in terms of what type of team and how you can describe them, or at least for me, if I was going to describe them right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but how would you the, describe them? Hold on, how would you describe them? <laughs> I don't know exactly. I feel like every time <laughs> you look at their numbers and stuff, things are changing. But... Um, the, the Pacers are second in transition frequency. So to have Obi mm-hmm. Toppin running the floor and being electric with Tyrese in the way that, I mean, Tyrese kind of is the Pacers identity in that regard. He wants to get those outlet passes and immediately head downhill. If you really listen to broadcast almost every game, you're going to hear him barking at somebody to get the ball in quicker because he wants to push off makes as well as misses. He's great at throwing hit ahead passes. He's always looking and peering over his shoulder for where surveying the land lay of the land for guys who can run out the way that Toppin can. So I think that would be a great match. And then as well as like, Toppin's never played with a stretch big like Miles, and we can debate how much the defense stretches to him, but he does space out to the perimeter in a way that you're not going to see with Mitchell Robinson and the other bigs that Obi Toppin has played with. So I think that would be a big change. And then just playing with Tyrese in general tends to make people better. So I also really like the way that, in my opinion, that Toppin's always pretty active. He's always looking for places to screen and cut and move. So my one drawback would be what I mentioned with Jalen before, that teams were cross-matching fives onto Jalen. So if, if Toppin was going to be your starting four, I question if that would happen. I know he shot the three better this year, but I don't know what the credibility of that is, how many contests he's getting out there. So it's possible that some teams might try to hide their five and sag off and really clutter the pick and roll like what the Pacers were seeing about a month back um, on that road trip. So that, that might be something that I would give consideration to, but given that he's on a rookie scale contract, I don't know what New York's asking price was, but I don't think I would balk at it if that's such a deal that the Pacers tried to make. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. The... There is a, a portion of the fan base that I may be part of, but not. It's like I have like a, a partial membership um, to the Obi Top and Hive. In that, the biggest fear is him going to another team that will, like you said, let him run in transition and put him with a point guard that will cater more to his skill set and completely unlock him. You know, you took him with the eighth pick in the draft, and he's been a fifteen to eighteen minute a night player since he's been here and 18 is on a good night when Tibbs decides to play him next to Julius Randle. Um, Julius returning to a version of what he was two years ago, honestly better when you look at the fact that yeah. people, people are in attendance and the long twos are just like non-existent. It seems a little bit more sustainable that you understand if they were to send Obi for his benefit to a place like Indiana. Um, there is that fear that like, man, this could have been us, even though Brunson's more of a, a half court player and not going to be someone that runs and, and helps OB in that way. Um, so you understand it. Uh, the player that, so we did, we did a, a thing called cap or no cap where we, mm-hmm. we like to break down the, the actual way teams could operate come trade deadline and what the landscape looks like a couple of weeks ago. And we proposed the idea of a Chris Duarte for OB top and trade. Um, there would be, I think Jeremy, our capologist, mentioned a protected pick somewhere in there, maybe even a second round pick somewhere in there. Just on its face, Duarte, uh, first, if you could tell my listeners a little bit about how his season has gone, as well as like what Knicks fans could potentially be looking for in a player like Chris. 
I like Chris. I was pretty high on him headed into this season. Honestly, I wrote a piece saying what I had broke down some of his offseason film. He played one summer league game and I didn't think he needed to play more than one summer league game. And then he played for the Dominican Republic's national team and FIBA qualifying. And I felt pretty good about some of the stuff that you had seen there because he was playing with a lot more patience in the pick and roll. Sometimes he could last season, he could be a little bit like an irregular heartbeat where, you know, if he saw a hedge, he'd stay on ball too long. Or sometimes Mm. he would attack before the screen ever came and he would want to play off one foot and he really likes to stare down his passing targets. And when I watched him playing in FIBA, like obviously the competition level is different, but you saw a different level of patience where he was calling up screens, getting him to flip sides and then actually using his weak hand and firing a pass with one hand. Like, and the Pacers also mentioned a lot of this, like in media day, they talked about like his patience is better. Like, I think we're going to see good things from him. The season started, he's in the starting lineup. Obviously the Pacers have brought Benedict Mathern off the bench almost all year, except for two games. And he got his, his shot was, did not start the season. Well, there was a game against the Spurs where I felt like he had tweaked his toe, which last year he finished the season. He didn't play the final 12 games of the year. And I don't know how much that was limiting him. And then he sustained the ink. He was out of the starting lineup. They started starting Aaron Neesmith at the three spot along with Jalen. Then he came back and he started a couple more games, but he injured his angle against the Miami Heat. Then he was out for five weeks. So now he's come back. I think his first game back was actually against the Knicks in the prior matchup. And in five of the last six games, he has not scored. He's two of his last 22 Hmm. field goal attempts. Um, I think he's shooting like 9% from the field. And it's just felt like something's just slightly off. I don't know if the foot is still bothering him a bit. There's times where it looks like he doesn't want to plant it completely, but it just, it feels like whichever lineup you're going to play him in, he's going to run some of the same actions as Buddy Heald or Benedict Mathern. And right now there's just not a real compelling reason to be like, Hey, let's run that play for Chris Duarte instead of Benedict Mathern right now. Like, Chris can't get to the rim the way that Benedict can. And if he can't make shots, which he did make like four or five shots against the Celtics, but that's really been his only like solid game since he's come back from injury. So there is stuff that I like about him. I'm not exactly entirely sure why stuff isn't clicking for him. Something that I've kind of considered is maybe not having Sabonis as a playmaking hub. Like if he did go to New York and he could play somewhat off of Julius Randle, that might help him with like DHO stuff because Sabonis assisted by far the majority of his twos last year and his shots around the rim, not just like kicking out to him for three. So, you know, maybe if that was an option for him again, some of his season would turn around, but um, I still like him. I'm sure the Pacers are still going to want to evaluate stuff as the, as the trade deadline nears, but they do have to remember that, you know, he's 25, no 26, 25. And and if you look at their starting lineup right now, like even if they were to trade Buddy Heald at some point, which I don't think they're going to be in a big rush to do, I think you're going to start Andrew Nemhard and Benedict Matherin because Andrew just does so many important things for them defensively. He's ahead of Chris defensively. And, you know, if they find a four man to start instead of Aaron Neesmith, then I think that they're liking what they're seeing from Aaron Neesmith. So that even creates somewhat of a crunch off the bench. So um, I do think Chris is a player to watch. I like what he does, but he's had a pretty rough sophomore season to this point. A four-man like Obi Toppin potentially, yeah, that there could could make an interesting trade partner in the next few weeks. Um, let's wrap up with this matchup because just looking at the raw numbers from the Pacers, specifically the last ten games that you pointed out that they're eight and two. The number that Knicks fans go to when looking at the upcoming opponent is three-point percentage. The Knicks are. Uh, in love with their drop coverage, the Tibbs philosophy of packing the paint, protecting the rim. And it's led to, well, from my money, it's actually worked more than it hasn't this season. The Knicks are uh, number one in the NBA in three-point percentage against. How much that's attributed to the coverage, who knows? I know there's some luck involved there. 
but uh, it does cause um, if a team is hot, then they're going to be hot and there's not much you could do. And the Pacers in their last 10 games, just looking at it are 39% from three. Um, and as far as volume is concerned, the Pacers are eighth in the NBA, making almost 14 threes a game during this eight and two stretch. Uh, is that is that a fair uh, thing to focus on when it comes to how this matchup might go tomorrow night? That if the Pacers are hitting their threes, then it's uh, signs of signs of concern if you're a Knicks fan. Well, right, because I mean, another thing that I would look at is Mitchell Robinson's offensive rebounding. And this is kind of an interesting trend for the Pacers, because since they started going small, um, they rank. 30th and second chance points allowed 20 28th or 29th in opponent offensive rebounding rate obviously we know what Mitchell Robinson can do on the class and one way that teams really zap what the Pacers do in transition is by sending people to the glass so if the Pacers have to keep people there two or three guys there um to keep Mitchell Robinson and prevent the second chance points one way that the Pacers get a lot of the three-point attempts that you're mentioning is in transition mm. um they have one of the highest transition three point early three-point attempt frequency rates since I believe the 2017-18 Rockets so if you can prevent them from getting out and running and how they like to play early opposite in the two side fast break um that can at least prevent some of those opportunities so I think watching the glass like the Pacers have shown that they can win when they give up a lot of second chance points in part because they make a lot of threes but if you can prevent them from being able to run and get those threes um that's one way to do it and then like you said with the drop coverage like yeah that's a way to give up pull-up threes but i actually thought grimes was pretty impressive defending halliburton in the prior game not just bumping him off his angle but like one possession in the third quarter i rewatched this game this morning halliburton rejected the pick and roll which is what you'll see him do against drop bigs a lot of the time that way he can get you know the big on the opposite side and, and be able to get into the paint that's the number one thing he'll do and grimes actually like very rare to see this and the only other guy i've seen do this against halliburton was jade mcdaniels earlier this year that if halliburton rejects it grimes actually beat him to his spot even though he didn't use the screen mm. so that in part is why I think they started hunting Julius Randle a little bit at the end of that game. It didn't make a lot of sense to me to be testing him in isolation the way that they were, but I don't think that they wanted to get away from the Grimes, Mitchell Robin pick and roll situation. So then they went to those isolations. I think for the Pacers, an adjustment that they need to make is if they do try to go to Randle, then bring another screen. They're a team that really likes to do and say, they always say they want to get to the next action. They don't isolate a lot. They've isolated a little bit more than what they were um, prior to that Next game, but like if, if they get Julius Randle in space, then bring Miles and then make Julius Randle be the on-ball defender. Make them switch again so that you can get Mitchell Robinson or get him in the drop with Julius Randle being the trailer. I think it's one thing they can do. And then they kind of got away from it, but one thing that was affected for them too is they went to Horn's Twist and used Andrew Nemhard as the Horn screener then that was able to get them um, Brunson as the on-ball defender instead of having Grimes. Um, but then they just kind of went away from a lot of that stuff, which was mm. was fairly uncharacteristic for the Pacers. Um, Halliburton's capable of making that righty three that he took against Julius Randle, but um, I don't think that that was necessarily the best overall process. I think there's some adjustments they can make there. And then Knicks fans probably remember defensively that Brunson was very aggressive in the second half at hunting Buddy Heald, getting a lot of screens from RJ Barrett and quickly and whoever else Buddy was defending so that he could just go right at him so um the Pacers are a team that really like to trap they like to send guys if a matchup's not beneficial to them so i'll be interested to see if they send help to buddy healed in that situation if he starts getting hunted again potentially the return of rj barrett tomorrow um, yeah i was going to ask you that if he's if he's going to be back from that laceration or not so it, it's tough to say because this injury is kind of been a mystery since it happened like when he he pulled up lame a minute into that Dallas game and he just like had his hand out and it's like, Oh, something happened. And it was like, Oh, I guess some, maybe it's a dislocation. Maybe he just, 
just like got a cut and needs to go get it get it fixed. So he can, he'll be back by the later in the like by the next TV timeout, and he hasn't been back in like two weeks. So it's one of those things where as we found out more and more about it, it's gotten worse. I don't. It sounds like the cut was so deep that like ligaments were were appearing. Like it's one of those oh, uh, we've joked around that you might as well say he got his finger chopped off. You might be right. And it's just that kind of injury that you got to wait for him to be able to play with stitches. Um, he's listed as questionable. And usually when you go from doubtful to questionable with the Knicks, it means like the next game you're ready to play. I think it's going to be like a game time thing where he's going to warm up, take shots. And then if he's able to play without discomfort or at least without pain, um, more specifically shoot without pain. He'll be, he'll be playing tomorrow night. So um, we'll see the Knicks are just the more and more I look at the pace, just specifically, like you said, this little stretch since the last time they played um, I am, I think they're going to eat all hands on deck for this matchup. Well, and RJ, RJ benefits from the fact that in the prior matchup, they, they put Neesmith on Randall and they put Andrew Nemhard on Brunson. That's their two best defenders. So RJ is going to be drawing the weaker assignment. He'll have Buddy. So that's why I said they'll, they'll either be aggressive. They can either be aggressive with RJ attacking Buddy or they can use RJ as the screener to get Brunson the better matchup. So um, they tried a lot of different looks against RJ. They just didn't really have a great answer when they're having to already use those two guys on, on New York's two, top two guys. So. Um, could be a good game for RJ Barrett if he is able to come back and be able to play. Last thing before we get out of here, do you have any Knicks specific questions that you might you might have for for me? Well, yeah, I mean, I watched that Bucks game, and two things stood out. I, I I should say I watched it. I was working, and it was on in the background, so I did okay. not see the entirety of it. Um, number one is Isaiah Hartenstein Stein, yeah. uh, the backup big now. Mm-hmm. Well, he continued to be the backup ah. big against the Indiana Pacers. So you know how you said the Knicks have been missing out with this rotation and trying to find an identity. We're like we're at the point where I think like the the Evan Fournier and the Cam Reddish and the Derrick Rose experiments are done. That I think is the next the next hill to climb is that Jericho Sims, if he's ready, because he's. He, I do think he would be better than Hartenstein. I don't think it's necessarily that much of a gap where you like it's it's imperative you need to play him over over Hartenstein. Um I do think he has some footwork issues and some things they still has to learn. Um but I I I would expect Isaiah Hartenstein to be the backup big tomorrow night. Um which yes, all every every concern you have, Knicks fans absolutely can ha- have those same concerns right now. And what's interesting about it is, is I wonder, like, was his best, most recent game against the Pacers? Because I remember in the second half of that game, when I was rewatching it, that the Pacers actually played big because the Knicks played Sims and Hartenstein at the same time in that second half. So the Pacers played Ijax and and Jalen Smith at the same time off the bench. And for whatever reason, the Pacers were having Ijax head. So it was like a rare sighting of Isaiah Hartenstein, like actually getting to make plays out of the middle of the floor, because it doesn't feel to me like the Knicks really use him the same way as the Clippers did year ago in terms of being like a DHO hub or like being to use playmaker stuff. But because the Pacers defended him that way, like just organically, he kind of got to do some of it. So that actually kind of carved up their defense for a handful of possessions in the third quarter. So he might actually look better um, than what he has of late against the Indiana Pacers. If they decide to strangely do that again, they were doing it to get the ball out of RJ's hands because they didn't have anybody in the bench that they felt capable staying in front of him. But like, it was somewhat awkward. Well, that's one of the things I'm most interested to see with RJ back is because 
like there there was this weird stretch after the the crazy Luca sixty point game, um, where the Knicks didn't have RJ or Jalen Brunson for a couple games, and while the offense was dire, Julius and quickly developed a nice little two man game as a result, and it's it's made it so that way the Knicks are pretty much focusing on the fact that Julius or Brunson will be on the floor at any point. But before that, before those injuries happened, RJ was the guy that the starter that played with the bench. So as a result in this nine man rotation, RJ, like you mentioned for that Indiana game was really the only threat on offense, although he was playing with quickly. And I wonder if Tibbs now looks at it and says, okay, if it's either going to be Julius playing with the bench or it's going to be, Brunson playing with the bench and it's this two man game with quickly that they're going to take advantage of. I say all of that to say that the Knicks newest identity might look a little different. And look, if, if there's a guy in this rotation that could use a better, just one good game. So that way um, for all that matters, where post post game content creators, live streams aren't all about him. Like you would have thought that Isaiah Hartenstein had like a Charles Smith type of game. Um, the the way that our fan base reacted the other night to the loss against the Bucks, like completely blaming him for why they lost to to the Bucks. Um, there were he's, some rough moments. There, there was, was believe me, there were, especially at the end of that third quarter. But I just the guy played ten minutes. You know, yeah. I'm not saying in the margins ten minutes can't decide a game, but it was also like ten minutes. You know. Yeah, I mean, next question: Why is Julius Randle taking nine threes in the first quarter, and then in the fourth quarter when he's open on the short roll? Um, has all the hesitation in the world and doesn't want to take a pull up. Well, I do think the Milwaukee game was an anomaly because the drop coverage. Well, some the drop coverage to an extent, but the guy was one of 12. Like at a certain point, you just like, you know, you don't have it. And when you're playing the Bucks, a team that is just like, if you want to take, if you want to go see if you can get to 15, one of 15, go ahead. Like you are allowed to keep shooting it until you make it. He's, during this December stretch, I think he's up to 37. Well, okay, after last night, that number is probably different, <laughs> but it was something like 37%. On John quotes the stat in the newsletter recently that since a certain date in November, or might have actually been December, second most threes in the NBA to Steph Curry. You know, well, I guess it would have to be, it had to be since the beginning of the season. He's taken the second most threes to Steph Curry this season. But the point being is that that's the type of volume that he's on, that he's, he's up to like eight a game. And for forwards, that's, that's just ridiculous. Um, but I mean, he's making them. Um, yeah. so I think that's his process is in the first quarter, see if he's got it going, take a bunch of threes. He's had like four or five, three or four three pointer pointers made in the first quarter games recently and if you know he's got it going in the first quarter then you ride it out and this just was one of those games where they're giving it to him he was missing and in a make or miss league it's going to stand out more you know i mean hey look that the two-man game between uh brunson and randall was pretty big against the Mm -hmm. pacers late in that game i mean the pacers had a six point lead with under two minutes to play um they're gonna have to iron out I, i vividly remember the two uh snafus the Pacers had where they tried to hedge and recover against Brunson and, and Randall. Nemhard got caught on Randall. Brunson makes that huge three. Mm-hmm. And then a possession later, they switched it. Andrew was on Julius Randall and Randall bullied him and ended up getting fouled. The Pacers challenged it. They lost the challenge. And like th- those two mix-ups felt pretty big. So obviously, uh, I mean, I agree. Randall's having a much better season than he was a year ago. I probably shouldn't nitpick him for his short role hesitancy it, it against just, the Milwaukee we all noticed Bucks. It. We all noticed like at a certain point, it's like, 
I'm already nine of 28 or tired 29. I, I just, I know I've got nothing going right now. And every time, like when you've got defensive player of the year candidates in the paint, if I go to the rim, I, I, I may get a call. I may not. They were letting them play the United as For well. Sure. Um, I just think that the Milwaukee game was an anomaly more than anything else. Yeah. The battle between Brunson and Drew Holiday was pretty entertaining mm-hmm. toward the stretch of that. I remember talking to Benji, your guy over at Knicks Film hey. School over the summer. Like I thought... One of my favorites, by the way, if, I'm sure everybody already follows him if you're watching this video, but always really enjoy watching his threads. But um, we talked over the summer because at the time, the Pacers were rumored to be interested in, in Jalen Brunson, in addition to the Knicks, um, in part because of Brunson's connections with Rick Carlisle in Dallas. And when mm. they were playing the Warriors in that series, when the Mavericks were playing the Warriors, the Warriors were doing like hedge and under and going under quite a bit against Julius or against Jalen Brunson. And I was like, you know, if he's not going to be willing to take pull-up threes, that's kind of problematic because they're hedging and keeping him out of the paint and then they're going under. And he made a couple pull-up twos, but the two of us talked about it. And to see what his numbers are now, like he's not taking a ton of pull-up threes, but he's hitting them at a decent clip. I think he's, you know, at almost three attempts per game, making like 37%. Like that's a pretty big turnaround from what I had expected to see, like even just in the playoffs last year. So it was fun watching that shooting back and forth between those two guards last night. So Yeah, no, he's been... And look, this is more just like a Knicks specific issue. The the point guard um, wasteland that has existed here for the longest time. The fact that like we got one is it's it's some fun to watch. That oh wow, a point guard that might actually be your best player on certain nights that can go off for forty four, even if it isn't a loss. Um, have the shot making ability. The tough two pointers that he makes are just just kind of unreal. So. Yeah, I was. Who knew that? Who knew that point guards mattered? I mean, I I I said the same thing. Tyrese is the best point guard I've watched for the place play for the Pacers in my lifetime, and I felt pretty confident about that after about four games. So, um, quite the difference that how offense can look. Wow! How dare you? (laughs) Aaron Collison's really going to be upset about that. Yeah. Wow. Travis Best is upset. Is rolling in his grave right now. Although he's alive, so I guess it's not rolling in his grave at all. Whatsoever. Jamal Tinsley's feelings are hurt. There well. you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Caitlin, I've kept you for longer than I, I said I would. Thank you so much for for giving me your time. If you wouldn't mind, please tell everybody at home where they could find you on the internet. Right. So my handle is at C2 underscore Cooper. I'm at Indie Corners a couple times a week. We're doing a weekly podcast over there where we do a little bit longer episodes, but we cover broader topics. So our most recent one of those came out this morning. If people want to go over and listen and check in on what's going on with the Pacers. Last question before I let you go. So okay. I'm, I go back to the nineties with my Knicks fandom, the Pacers, because I were the nineties are for Knicks fans. If they were old enough to remember it, they, are the glory days, even though they didn't win a championship, but they were just like relevant every year. And the Pacers rivalry was always, you know, obviously Reggie Miller, um, the, the, uh, eight, the, the game, the literally the whole mid nineties and all the games that, that happened there. It's a game that I still circle on the calendar and I'm, you know, a dying breed because the Knicks Pacers rivalry is one playoff series since 2000. But I still look at like the Pacers as one of the Knicks bigger rivals. Um, do Pacers fans like, is that rivalry completely dead? Is it dead for you when it comes to the Knicks? I will say that a lot of the Reggie Nick stuff was, I was way too young. Like mm. I'm like six years old when this stuff is happening. So okay. like my memories of it are not super clear, but I think that, I think that fans still get up for this matchup. Um, and the fact that sometimes I have Nick fans who message me and be like, look, 
<laughs> some some friends over at the Strickland who'll be like, look, I'm glad that the Pacers are happy or are a fun team only for you because I like your writing. I wish no goodwill for the Indiana Pacers. So, I mean, I, I think that people still feel it. Okay. That's making sure it's not just me. I, I'm glad to hear that there are still Knicks fans out there that get up for this matchup. Gayla, thank, thank you as always. You were, you were outstanding. And uh, I would say good luck. Or I guess when people are listening to this tonight, but I hope you at least enjoy watching the game, whether it's a the outcome be damned, you know? I will. I think that this is an interesting matchup. Hopefully people think that it's interesting after I describe some of it and aren't like just bored and being like, I don't want to listen to this anymore. And <laughs> <laughs> I'll co-sign that. I personally think people will listen to this and be like, oh, this, this actually will be a good game. Um, Caitlin, thank you as always. No problem. Once again, thank you to Caitlin Cooper for coming on today's show. To help me preview the matchup against, you heard it, the rival Indiana Pacers on Wednesday night. Uh, she's outstanding. Uh, I, I can't recommend her work enough, whether it's the Pacers pod that you want to listen to, her Pacers writing. Uh, she covers the, the NBA at large uh, during the offseason. So give her a follow, C2 underscore Cooper. Uh, we love having Caitlin on here, and I can't wait to have her on again. That'll do it for me. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes and drop a five-star rating and a review uh even say particularly you love the pregame show in your review uh like five stars claudio rules honestly put five stars claudio sucks get rid of the pregame show i don't care just five stars that's that's what we're coming for those five star ratings really help us uh so i'd really greatly appreciate it we'll be on tonight after the uh obviously on the post game show but if you want to join us live to watch the Knicks game against the pacers we'll be on playback sign up for the kfs patreon for the mellow tier uh or higher and you get access to all of our kfs uh watch parties on playback um, so we'll be on stage at uh, 7.30 for tip-off and be able to watch the game, me, John, and Benji. But until next time, thank you for listening. Stay safe out there. Enjoy the game tonight, and I'll speak with you soon. Peace. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com